what you end up doing with it is torturing yourself and everyone else through acts of passive aggression Mm. because you're so fucking pissed, right? There you go, girl. Totally been there. And so you're, you're undermining and kicking under the table and fucking with everyone, self-sabotage, other sabotage, all of it. You're just, you're using that anger to to poison everything and ruin everything because you're so pissed and you want to punish and you want retribution, right? So that's the frustrated wound. Mm. Or it could be about the symbiotic coping style, which is I'm going to self-betray, not hold my boundaries again and again and again and again. And then you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to cut and run. And never speak to this person again, yeah. because every time I'm with this dominating person, I feel I have to give up who I really am and be what they want me to be. And instead of ever telling them that I'm going to pretend everything's hunky dory for months or years, and then I'm going to slit their neck and disappear. Hello, my love, and welcome to the Boldly Courageous podcast. My name is Melissa Martin. I am a business and embodiment coach and creator of the Boldly Courageous community. Just like you, I've walked through some dark seasons in life and I know what it's like to start over again and write a new story. This podcast is here to activate you, to show you what's possible when you embody your power and walk with courage and fear in the pursuit of what sets your soul on fire. Each week, you will hear authentic conversations with thought leaders and visionaries as we dive deep into topics such as spirituality, business, money, relationships, sexuality, and so much more so that you can fully embody your boldly courageous self. Are you ready? Let's drop in. Hey, real quick before we dive into the episode, I need to let you know about something really, really special to me. So if you're anything like me and you've had this calling on your heart to start a podcast, but you have no idea where to start, I want to introduce you to the incredible team that I have worked with literally from day one of launching Boldly Courageous over at Podcast Co. They have just released a self-paced course called Launch Your Fucking Podcast. This program will literally take you through step-by-step of launching your podcast from start to finish. You will learn everything about how to create and find the foundation and mission of your podcast, how to come up with the perfect name, get super clear on your audience and the structure of your show. Also, you will learn how to record, how to produce, how to edit, and also hosting, music, creating the perfect cover, and building a successful launch strategy. Basically, by the end of the program, you will have launched a podcast that feels authentic and expansive to you, labeling you as the expert that is ready to impact and grow your audience in whatever phase of life they may be at. So all you have to do is go to the link in the show notes, use code boldly courageous at checkout, and you will get a hundred dollars off the launch your fucking podcast course. So now let's jump into the episode. Welcome back to the Boldly Courageous podcast. As always, it is an honor to have you here with me today. And my guest today is Dr. Sam Rader. And Dr. Sam and I recently connected. And it's one of those connections where when you meet someone, you're like, oh, I've known you my whole life, even though we just met. And this episode is, I would say, in my top 10 favorite episodes because we go deep into topics that I feel are so 
hugely important for us to be talking about, which is normalizing and embracing and welcoming anger. Dr. Sam shares a story about where she's at right now in her life and her journey and how anger is actually a beautiful expression of boundaries and self-protectionism. And uh, we go deep into this concept of different coping styles throughout childhood. And I get pretty deep and vulnerable and share some perspectives with her and she coaches me through. So it is definitely one of those conversations where we were in it and I looked up and could not believe that we've been talking for almost an hour. So I hope that you love this episode and to introduce you to Dr. Sam Rader. After 18 years of clinical practice, depth psychologist Dr. Sam Rader has created a new approach to therapy called Source Code Psychology. She believes that in our first five years of life, our early experience writes a source code in our unconscious, which then determines the rest of the way that our story unfolds. Dr. Sam helps people rewrite their code for a healthier, more beautiful life. She's currently authoring a book set to debut in 2022 with Harper Wave Publishers about the 12 coping styles we adopt during childhood, which helped us then and hurt us now and how we can heal. So in this episode, you will hear her reference some of those coping styles and how she helps me navigate a few of them as well. Let's dive in to the episode with Dr. Sam. Dr. Sam, I'm so honored and grateful that you are here today. I know we're like new friends, um, which I love so much about this divine world that we live in because we have a, a mutual sister um, that I've connected with. And it's been so just beautiful to see how the universe brings people into your life. And I feel like the moment we met, I was like, oh, I know you, <laughs> even I though I felt the exact same. <laughs> Um, so thank you so much for, for being here and sharing your life. My pleasure. Just connecting on zoom with you right now. My heart just feels really open. Like it just keeps widening and widening and expanding. And I'm like, okay, there's something good here. My heart is already blooming. I love that. I, um, we were just chatting prior to pressing record and I just had an energy healing. So I feel like everything is blooming right now too. Like all my chakras are open. My energy is clear. I feel really good. So this will probably be a really great, it's going to be a great conversation no matter what, but okay. So I start every episode off with the same question. And that is what is one boldly courageous thing you've done recently? Oh, well, well, that's going to take us right into the anger that I've been <laughs> excited to talk about, but I have just been boldly confronting person after person, after thing, after thing, um, just feeling like this almost constant feeling of anger in my body, but not a violent anger, like an organizing anger. That's like, I know where my edges are. And if someone's out of line, um, even if it's subtle, I'm not going to let anything slide anymore. In the past, there might be something about letting things slide. And I've just been like, no, no, no. So um, yeah, standing up to people, people that I'm friends with, people that I'm not friends with, just being real clear and direct. Um, and it's in the past, I would have been very afraid that I would be ostracized or demonized for um, showing my anger or saying no, like I would have to be perfect and kind and sweet all the time. Mm. And I've just been like, fuck it. This is my no. And the more I own it, the more actually respect I'm getting <laughs> and like, um, more energy is flowing toward me, more opportunities like this opportunity and, and others. 
So it's, it's so paradoxical, right? We're so afraid to stand up and be firm and be clear and be direct because we're worried it will lose us things. But actually that's when the real juice starts flowing. My, one of my healers, my somatic healer, Stacy Matula says that when you say you're clear, no, it's like each no is a riverbank, like no, that allows the river to flow. Mm. Like the energy starts to really flow when you get clear what the no is that allows a real flow and, and the yes to come. Mm. Wow. I'm connecting a lot of dots on this because I talk a lot about uh, lack energy and abundant energy. And I think mm. at the forefront, a no would feel closed off or restrictive or lack because it feels very definitive. Like it almost feels like a chopping block coming down. Like, you know, if we we're going to do a visual or a door closing, like that's a hard no, which to me visually would stop the flow right of energy, which feels lack. And yet hearing you, what you just shared, the way that I would process something like that is instead of, and this is like what I would do, I would first allow, or maybe not say no, I wouldn't necessarily be definitive in my boundary in that moment. I would process it and then maybe come at it from an angle where I can be received and it feels a little bit more softer and there's like more peacekeeping. Right. But as I'm hearing you, what you're sharing, what I'm receiving from that is that feels lack because I'm fearful of a loss of a relationship or an uncomfortable situation. So I'm vibrating from a place of um, maybe, maybe people pleasing or self-abandonment or unworthiness or scarcity or fear, which feels lack to me. And just what you shared about the no being very definitive and clear, creating space for more yes to flow through. So that no is actually an operation of like abundance and trust, which is like mind blowing. <laughs> totally. I'm actually having chills right now because you're describing it perfectly, which is like in the past it didn't matter how successful I was or how many big ideas I had or the book deal or the whatever. I still always felt like the lower than in relationships. Mm. Like I felt like I'm so lucky that anyone would want to be friends with me. It's like some old patterning. Right. And so when I'm not in the power position, I really am afraid to say no and lose the, the good, the little good thing I have. But as I'm coming into this new, like fierce, solid, radiant version of myself, I'm feeling like, fuck it. Let the chips fall where they may. Like you, you don't want it next, take it or leave it. Like someone else is going to come. Cause I feel so worthy. And I know that's such almost like a buzz term, but I'm just like, I feel my, my value, my worth. I feel who I really am. I feel my true power. And if people don't want it, they can step off. Like, you know, just yesterday I had to, to say that to one employee and one one-on-one -on -one client, like, Hey, if you don't want this, then go. <laughs> Bye. Right. You, you have my permission to leave. <laughs> yeah. My time is precious. And if you're not going to take me up on my gifts, you can go. And they both did it with so much love and respect. And I was like, great. That leaves more room for things to come in that aren't aligning. Mm. So it's like, it's like in the past, if I had lost a, a client or an employee, I would always turn it on myself. Oh, what did I do wrong? Oh no, oh no, oh no. As opposed to, I'm like, Hey, you're not showing up in your integrity, mm. uh, match me or, or, or not. And, and I just felt, it felt so clean. Mm. 
Like I was like, I'm not going to pretend that it's my problem that you're not showing up with integrity. Oh, yeah. What a, what a sense of relief and release. And you probably feel a lot lighter energetically too. I feel actually, I'd like to describe it because it's bizarre and new for me. I feel massive amounts of energy coursing through my body, this anger feeling, but it's not an anger that feels destructive. It's an anger that feels constructive. Like it's an anger that feels like aim and self-protection and self-organizing and self-love. And it, it, it makes me feel so much libido. Like I'm like, I want to go make a love to someone or write a song or take over the world. Like it gives me all this life force energy to really connect with my healthy animal aggression. Which is so interesting because the way that you're describing it is from a place of um, light and not shadow. And most people I think refer to anger or view anger as a shameful thing or a shadow side or Um, you know, we've been taught to be a good girl or, you know, to be a good boy and to, to, and, and I think most people don't have a healthy relationship to anger. Like they judge it as a quote unquote bad emotion, right? Mm -hmm. It's really just a different frequency of energy. Um, so just hearing you share it in that perspective, it seems very valuable to have anger. Like it's something that you're actually able to alchemize into something, really productive and coming again from that abundant energy, but also like not a wound. Maybe we can talk about this. I think there's duality in everything. Right. And there's a shadow side or wounded side. Right. And then there's a healthy side. And so I'm processing here. There's a light side and shadow side of anger. And what I'm hearing is maybe you're, you're tapping into this light side of anger that's coming from a healthy, healed part of you, not the triggered, wounded um, shadow side, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I would love to talk in depth about this because it's funny, as we've been talking, we've been covering several of the coping styles in my book. I'm like, oh, now we're talking about symbiotic. Now we're talking about squash. Oh, now we're talking about constricted. And right now we're talking about frustrated, which is that in my understanding, the only dark aspect to anger is if you hold on to it. Mm. So anger held in mm-hmm. festers into mm. a toxic sludge. It festers into hate. And then it poisons us and it poisons everything in our vicinity. Mm-hmm. But anger expressed is never toxic. Anger is not violence. There's, there's a very big difference. Mm. So if you, if you think about, um, you know, animals in the wild, anger is a, one of the most important features of, of our survival. It's, it's, it's essential. Fight or flight, really. It's protection. Yeah, exactly. Right? It's protect, it's, it's self-protection, self-love and self-worth. That's all anger is. So anger is the vibration that your boundary has just been crossed. Mm. It's a healthy reflex and instinct of, whoa, that was, that was wrong. That doesn't feel okay to me. Imagine like in a nature video, if you see a lion, when does the lion get angry? Only if someone's kind of Provoking, in, provoking, yeah. coming in yeah. its territory. And then it goes, Rawr! yeah. And then the other animal goes, oh, okay, backing off, backing off. And then they're cool. And it's peace again and love and harmony. There's no grudges. There's no mm. punishment. There's no drama. There's no story. It's just, hey, you got too close, back off. That's what anger does. So anger is always beautiful and constructive. What we do with it, we judge it, we hold on to it, it contorts into something else, that's when it becomes toxic. 
Yeah. I Anger think itself it, is, is beautiful. I think it's the way it's expressed is mm-hmm. I think what I'm feeling into, like you were saying, anger is not violence, right? So is, could violence be a byproduct of anger being expressed in an unhealthy way? In my experience, violence happens when we hold anger in too long because we don't express it and we don't express it and we don't express it. And then we blow up Mm -hmm. or violence is actually an acting out of shame. I had a friend who worked, who volunteered at San Quentin prison and worked with the violent offenders and did group therapy to try to help them gain um, the ability to self-soothe and emotional intelligence. And when all of these men who had murdered or harmed people tracked back. What were you feeling the moment before you lashed out and did that violent act? Every single one of them tracked it back to shame. Wow. Yeah. So I think anger held in, which becomes violent Mm. or, or shame can become violent, but I think it's so important for all of us to to start to develop a new relationship with anger as something holy and sacred and pure and organizing. It, I like what you said. It's like, it's almost like an alarm system. This trip yeah. on you that you said that like something is not okay with me and um, it's like a boundary, right? Yeah. That's all and, it is. Yeah. And I know uh, something that I've been like working through with boundaries and um, self-abandonment, because those two things for me go hand in hand, right? Uh, If I have a boundary and then I uh, choose not to hold it, I'm abandoning myself for the sake of someone else. And um, the trigger system (laughs) isn't operating at full capacity because what happens for me is when, um, when I'm triggered by something, instead of um, taking my own side and validating my experience, I will try to understand the other person's perspective first because I never want to um, jump to conclusions. And I think in the past I've done that where I've you know acted out of, trigger in an unhealthy way, like done manipulative things or been untrusting. Like, let's just use the example of my former self in a very old relationship where I thought my boyfriend was cheating on me. So instead of confronting him, I just went through his cell phone. And of course I would find stuff that would validate it. Right. So, um, or the opposite would happen, right? I would make this assumption about someone and get all worked up in my head of the story, but really it was something completely different. Right. So like you could say, um, your boyfriend says he's going to call you and he doesn't. And your first thought could be like, Oh my God, like he's with somebody else. And he, you know, he made this promise and he broke this promise, but really his phone could have died or broken. Right. So that's where my brain goes, where I will have a reaction to something like a trigger. I'll feel some kind of way. And then I'll be like, well, you know, it was this, or it was that. And like, you know, and I realize I'm like, well, I'm dishonoring my feeling of being angry. I'm dishonoring a boundary that's being crossed. So even just hearing you say that, I'm like, wow, maybe not feeling comfortable with the feeling of anger puts us in a position of self-abandonment or not taking our own side. And it sounds to me like anger is that fierce big sister. That's like, I got your back girl. Like nobody's going to treat you that way. And then you're like, thanks, but I don't really need your help. I can handle this. (laughs) That was 
so eloquently said. I love that. And as you're talking about it, I'm thinking of two different coping styles from my book. When, when you don't hold the boundary, like you're saying, and then you self-abandon, that's going to go one of two ways. You're either going to become what I call frustrated, which is when you hold that anger in and it becomes mm-hmm. toxic hate. And then what you end up doing with it is torturing yourself and everyone else through acts of passive aggression. Mm-hmm because you're so fucking pissed, right? There you go, girl. Totally been there. And so you're, you're undermining and kicking under the table and fucking with everyone, self-sabotage, other sabotage, all of it. You're just, you're using that anger to, to poison everything and ruin everything because you're so pissed and you want to punish and you want retribution, right? So that's the frustrated wound. Mm. Or you, it could be about the symbiotic coping style, which is I'm going to, self-betray, not hold my boundaries again and again and again and again. And then you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to cut and run (laughs) and never speak to this person again. Because every time I'm with this dominating person, I feel I have to give up who I really am and be what they want me to be. And instead of ever telling them that, I'm going to pretend everything's hunky-dory for months or years. And then I'm going to slit their neck and disappear. Mm -hmm. That's what I call the symbiotic cutoff. Yeah. So can, can you guys hear how neither one of these are really serving? <laughs> like, yeah, that sounds terrible. I think we've all done that. I'm like, yep, I've done that. I've done that. I've done that. <laughs> Especially yeah. the passive aggressive stuff. Right. Which is why this, this very misguided idea that anger is toxic. Mm. No anger unexpressed becomes toxic. Mm. If you just said, Hey, you know what? I don't want to go there. Or I don't like this. Or, Hey, you know, when you say you're going to call me on time, I need you to call me on time and you just make your boundaries known, that's when things start to get real healthy and fun. Mm. You know, Brene Brown says like in, in her, you know, 20 years of research, she found that the most compassionate people are the ones with the clearest boundaries mm. because then you're not holding on to any resentment and you're free to just love everyone when you're real clear. Nope. I need you to do it this way or, or get out, you know? Right. And, and I think, um, the way that I view, you know, boundaries is like, it's a boundary is not about controlling someone else's behavior. It's more about changing the way that you respond to their behavior of setting a, you know, a, mm, maybe we can talk about this because this is interesting. Boundaries and ulterior. Ultimatums. Thank you. Yes. Ultimatums. I'm like, where is my brain? How are they different? Because so I've, I had this experience in a relationship where somebody that I was dating said, I am not available for commitment. It's just not where I'm at in my life. And I said, okay, I am not available for friends with benefits. So if you're not available to meet my needs, that's cool. Then we can just be friends. And he was like, but I feel like you're giving me an ultimatum. That doesn't feel good to me. I'm like, well, I feel like you're giving me an ultimatum. That doesn't feel good to me. I'm like, this is just my boundary. So what's Wait. the dip? Are they the same? I do think they're the same. I think ultimatum is a dirty word for a boundary. Um, and like, it's the narcissist term for boundary. <laughs> yeah. Like I think w- what you were saying earlier, um, is it something about their behavior? I think the boundary isn't it really anything about anyone else's behavior. It's what you're okay with and not okay with. Mm-hmm. It's your standards. It's your values. It's your bottom lines. It's what you will and won't engage with. And so then they have their own choice. So you say, I'm not available for, for friends with benefits. That's my boundary inside of me. I'm not going to do that. You can either commit to me 
or be my friend. You have a choice here. Mm-hmm. So my choice is I won't engage with the murkiness. And then that gives you a choice. What do you want to do here? It's pretty powerful stuff. It is. And it, you, it's, it's um, interesting to see how people receive that because then all their negotiating comes up. Yeah. And, and they, what I've found is it, in, as I'm stepping more into this, take it or leave it kind of vibe, which I, I wish you'd know me before. It's like, I was such a groveling, you know, like cowering, groveling, please don't hurt me. Please don't hate me. And now I'm like, take it or leave it. As I'm doing that, people like me so much more. They respect me so much more. They're like, whoa, she, she's got herself. She's a force to be reckoned with. She doesn't care if I like her or not. Whoa. I do like her. Right. Right. So bizarre. Even my employee and the, you know, and the person, the client who left yesterday, the sentiment was, I really, you know, even the employee was like, I really deeply respect what you're doing here and, and want more. I want to join this or that, you know, it's like, I just can't show up in these ways or don't want to, but I, I still really find a great deal of value in you and what you're doing. It's gosh. Well, and you both get what you want in the long run, which is respect for your time and your energy. And you said something earlier that, um, I want to touch on, which was about like, um, basically about compatibility and, and values right. Of like, this is my value system. And if it doesn't align, align with your value system, that's cool. Then we just go our separate ways, like no hard feelings. And I, uh, had this thought the other day about, um, worthiness. And I think a lot of it comes down to that of like a lot of, you know, I know for me, and it sounds like you've had this experience too, that, um, maybe when you are getting ready to sign clients or you're, you know, dating someone new, or, um, even like interviewing for a job, the thought comes up, like, am I good enough for this? Mm-hmm. Am I worthy enough for this person? Am I good enough to be in this room? Am I yeah. good enough to have this friendship? Do I belong in this mastermind? Like, am I good enough? And my new question is, is this good enough for me? Mm-hmm. And not about like shaming someone else as better or worse in that regard of like comparison, but more about compatibility. Like, does this container or this job or this relationship or, and the, the, this person and their values align with mine. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So, sorry. So the, 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 I'm not good enough. Um, when we have those vibrating edges of our boundaries that we can feel energetically and viscerally, that boundary is saying I'm good enough to protect. Mm. I'm good enough to have my time respected. Mm -hmm. it's really that, that switch from the outside things gets to decide if I'm good to an inside part going, I know I'm good. So now what? Mm -hmm. Woo! That's powerful stuff. Right. And I know that there are women listening being like, that sounds amazing. I don't even know where to start. Like (laughs) I'm that person that you were describing before. So I know that this, um, even with what you've shared has not always been your operating system. So can Mm -hmm. we maybe go back a little bit to a time where Mm -hmm. maybe this wasn't in your awareness or this wasn't your operating system. And how did you get to this place of being able to feel clear in your boundaries and empowered in your anger and experiencing all this abundance and peace because of it. Yeah. Well, that really opens the door for us to talk about this odyssey I've been on for the last 
10 years, almost exactly 10 years, which is that um, as I've been working on this book on the 12 coping styles we adopt during childhood, when we don't get what we need at any certain developmental stage, um, we all have at least a handful of the styles. I have all 12, which is what allowed, you. Right? allowed <laughs> me to be the conduit for the material. And um, what I've spent the last 10 years doing, not because I decided I would do this, but the universe just sort of thrust me into it. And I was willing is I've been living through each of the 12 coping styles and the writing God sort of didn't let me put pen to paper unless I had completed mm-hmm. and healed each style. And, mm. you know, one style took me a year. They, they often take me a long time. Like, it's like, it's like I'm in a labyrinth mm-hmm. and I'm trying to find my way out. And it's a mystical, painful, beautiful, cathartic process. But how did I come out of all these um, misalignments was that each one in turn, each of these 12 misalignments got integrated, healed and shed from my life. And so I think specifically the styles that relate to this idea that I can't say no, and that the solution to saying no is there would be the symbiotic style I was talking about before when we're people pleasers, Mm -hmm. the frustrated style where we don't own our no overtly. So then we do it covertly through passive aggression, Mm -hmm. the constricted style where we think we have to be obedient and um, never do something wrong because we don't want to be exposed or caught or punished or humiliated. And the solution is to become our own authority and stop being afraid of the judge outside and become more animal and instinctive and trust ourselves. And also I think coming out of provocative, which is a wound about um, being overly sensual and flirtatious and amorous because the boundaries were crossed with us during our Oedipal phase of development when we're developing a sense of our romantic and sexual and competitive selves, that was sort of exploited in our family Mm -hmm. system. And so we're um, very unconsciously amorous and have very fuzzy boundaries with everyone. And coming out of that is becoming clear and really knowing where the lines are and holding them. So I've been been dancing with all 12 styles, but recently I've been rewriting symbiotic, frustrated, provocative, constricted. and, And as I write them, the universe rewrite them. Even the universe has me live them again a little bit more like, Hey, there's another trinket here, another treasure that I can share with you. So I've, I've been writing all those simultaneously. And so my edges are like, but if, you know, if any of your listeners want to begin that process, I do have a free coping styles pocket guide. That's really dense where you can read all about each style. And then there's journaling prompts that get you started on your process of emerging from each of these wounds so that you can become more of who you really are. Mm. Wow. And isn't it so true that we live what we teach, right? It's like when we're in the fire, we're like, what is actually fucking happening right now? And then we get out of it. We're like, oh, right. Cause I meant to teach this. Great. Thank you so much for that. I feel like I'm going through that right now. Like literally in this moment, um, where I'm like, oh, this sucks. Why? And then I get this download from my guides being like, do you really think that we would put you through all of this for nothing. Like this is the next level of the video game. That's how I say it. Yes. Brilliant. Fucking brilliant. Right? Yeah. My, my vibrational coach, Lorelai Bayette says, um, as you know, as, as healers or coaches, we get paid for our evolution. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. We just keep doing the shadow work, doing the inner work and evolving. And then we get to share it with the world mm-hmm. and 
And that's our gift that we bring to the world. Mm-hmm. Now, in your experience with these um, coping styles, is there any one that's maybe the most prominent or most common that you see in your practice or that would be maybe a really good, I know you mentioned the, the pocket guide, but maybe we could go deep on like one or two that you think are uh, a good entry point or the most common. You know, I wish that there was, that would be so fun. If I could be like, let's just start with this common one. Um, I would say it's really like a very broad, like everyone has random ones. It's really hard to predict um, which ones people have. Maybe one that's kind of easy to understand that your, your listeners might really relate to would be one that I call the premature coping style. And this is when um, during toddlerhood, is a time when we're negotiating our bigness and our smallness. So for the very first time, we're able to toddle away from the safe base of our caregivers, try things on our own for the first time, start to feel into our autonomy. Before that, we were just a little lump of flesh infant. (laughs) And so, you know, as toddlers, we need to be supported in our quest to, to find our independence. And we also need to be supported when we feel kind of overwhelmed by how big the world is. And we need to run back to, the mother's arms and be on the breast and, and still be quite young. Cause as a toddler, you're kind of half baby, half kid. Yes. So you need both those halves of your being to be supported. If we were premature for whatever reason as toddlers, which is, you know, one and a half to three years old, we had to grow up too fast mm. in the same way that a baby can be born prematurely. We were thrust into the role of big kid prematurely. So maybe a younger sibling was born when we were one and a half to three. And now they're the baby and we've got to be the big brother or big sister and take care of them. Wow. Right. Yeah. Or maybe we had a parent who needed us to take care of them because they, they had something psychological or, you know, circumstantial going on. Mm -hmm. And so they mistook our precociousness and ability to walk and talk and feed ourselves. We're like, okay, you're good now. You can take care of me. (laughs) I'm done taking care of you. You can take care of me, but it's, it's basically a wound where we're weaned too soon from the literal or proverbial breast. So we're still stuck in that very hungry baby mode, but we're not allowed to have that hunger. So what we do instead is we give, we overdo, we overgive, we overachieve. We're the caretaker for everyone. Um, We're the provider, the giver, the doer. And we sort of meet our, our, our deep longing for love through vicariously by caring for others and doing for others, volunteering, running around, you know, all of that. So um, oftentimes we struggle with eating disorders because it was our literal need for the breast that got thwarted. And so now feeding feels like a disturbing thing that we're not allowed to do. So we, we think we're not allowed to eat. So we starve ourselves and either become anorexic or starve, 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 then binge and become um, you know, bulimic or, uh, or a binge eater, overeater. And in all of these cases, it comes from this idea that I shouldn't need and I shouldn't feed and I'm too much and anything I might need would be too much for others. I'll be a burden. And so I should just give only and never receive, never take in. So all the vectors or lines of energy are pointing out, Mm -hmm. I'm going to go do give and never pause to rest, receive, be nourished and becoming nourished is the antidote. So as we emerge from the premature wound, we learn that it's okay to need, okay to feed. And we start to discover 
what being full feels like for the first time in our lives, both emotionally and literally with food. Because as prematures, we never let ourselves get a full portion, even if we're overeaters. I always tell my overeaters, they're like, you need to help me. I'm eating too much. And I'm like, oh no, no, you're not eating enough. You never eat a full meal. That's why you're binging and grazing all day. You never let yourself just sit down and have a beautiful, full filling meal. Mm-hmm. So yeah, coming out of premature is a really interesting one. Learning that it's okay for things to, to go in, that you're not too much for needing. You're just like everybody else. This is powerful work. I'm like blown away by this. And, and even the, I can, I can see connecting these dots now, how someone who has a, you know, seemingly perfect life, like no drama, their parents are still together. They had a great childhood could develop an eating disorder. And you would wonder like, how does that even start when there's no, you know, chaos in the home? Like the parents are functional. There's no, like, you know, everyone has stuff, but generally speaking, like there wasn't anything majorly traumatic and it could be something as innocent as what you're uh, describing, but it's imprinted at such a young age that you, you don't have any awareness of it. And I can see how I can also feel some parallels between the overgiving that women as in general do um, how that could like play in, you know, a coping strategy of probably seeing your mom uh, doing it all and then picking up on that coping strategy as well. Maybe later in life of like the overachiever and the overgiver, And I just want love and just give, give, like, just let me just give, give, give and hope that you'll give back to me. And then I never feel complete because I don't give to myself. Yeah. And, uh, and the give, give, give in hopes that it never actually allows anything to give back because mm-hmm. it becomes such a embodiment of, again, all the lines of energy going out that there's really no room for anything to get in. Even if someone wants to give back, you're like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Let me get mm. to you. So this is fascinating. It's good <laughs> stuff, huh? Yeah. Well, um, so I'll share an experience that I had recently w- just talking about this give and receive energy. Um, something that I have been working a lot through is receiving, receiving from a place of not feeling like I'm relying. Cause there's, you know, um, I think for me, there's a trigger around, I don't ever want to feel like I'm relying on someone, but I just want to be open to receive, especially when it comes to dating and, um, like my relationship to money and my relationship to men parallel a lot. There's a lot of like similar energies that come through. So I was in meditation the other day and I was just trying to feel into like my, I I do this a lot, like visualize like her you know, the version of me that I'm growing into, like the one that's made it and she's done it and she's embodied. And like, what does that feel like in my body? And I was playing with the idea of earning a hundred thousand dollars a month, month over month, not just like one time, but like this consistent flow of a hundred thousand, a hundred thousand, a hundred thousand. And the wildest thing happened. I did not expect this at all to come up because it's never come up before. Right. I had this visual of people coming into my, like movers, moving boxes of money into my apartment, like just consistently every day, new boxes, new boxes. And it, it started to like fill up all the spaces. And I was like, I don't have anywhere to put this. Like it was too much for me to handle. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this has to slow down. Like, I don't have anywhere to put this. I don't know what to do with it. I started feeling overwhelmed. Like I couldn't receive it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, where did this come from? I had no idea that I had this block around receiving an overflow and the 
coping strategy on the other side of it is like, well, let me just go spend it then. Cause it's, it's, there's not enough space. And I think the space that I'm used to is um, maybe not one of overflow, not one of an over amount of abundance of receiving. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting, like just hearing you share what you're ta- what you're saying about, like, there is no space to receive. Like maybe this is one of my coping yeah. strategies, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I want to address a couple of things you said. One is this idea of, I don't want to rely mm. on anything or anyone. And, you know, coming out of premature is about knowing it's okay to rely on things that are reliable. Mm. Oh, goosebumps on that, right? It's okay to depend on people. Hopefully they're dependable. Mm. That's a good thing. We're meant to have healthy dependency. If we're toddlers and we're only supported in our quest for independence, but not the healthy dependence of still needing support, then we think depending is wrong. It was not that our depending that was wrong. It was that someone wasn't able to meet us there. But that doesn't mean that as adults, someone won't be able to meet us there. I really hope that my friends and spouse and life is dependable and I can depend on it. I'd like to depend on it. Right. That's good Mm. to depend, right? So what if you could depend on that, those boxes coming in every month, Mm. you know, and then that leads us to another wound, but what were you going to say? I feel like for me, vibrationally, the word, because I'm big on words, like depend and rely, feel different. Depend Mm -hmm. feels rooted in trust and safety for the Mm -hmm. other person. Mm -hmm. Rely for me feels rooted in lack and instability within myself. Like that's Mm -hmm. the nuance between the two. Mm -hmm. And I think that's obviously some work that I'm navigating through and going back to boundaries and people pleasing and partner choosing and codependency that Mm -hmm. perhaps I've chosen people that don't allow, that are not dependable. Mm-hmm. And therefore I can never have a healthy relationship with what it feels like to rely on someone because mm-hmm. it's not safe. Right. Yeah, so like, I'm like, like even the word depend feels different in my body than the word rely. Yeah. So it sounds like there's some beautiful work there around, um, deepening into the embodiment of, of relying mm. and lying, lying into that support, laying mm. your weight down into that support and allowing something to be reliable. And when you really embody that, then that's what will show up outside, right? Mm. When you can, when you can really value that inside and go, I don't want to rely on anyone. It's like, then the universe is like, okay, then I won't send you anyone reliable. (laughs) (laughs) And where am I not relying on myself? Where am I not reliable within myself? Right. Like looking at that. So, so that relying, and then the, the, the idea of the boxes coming in and running out of space What I would say is it sounds like we're also now tipping into what I call the deprived wound, which is when we don't know how to digest the good. So it's, it's coming in and it's just kind of getting stuck at your throat. There's nothing that's going to feel it. Right. (laughs) I really feel it in my throat right now. Like, yeah, it's all stuck right there. And you're like, I can't breathe. I need space. It's like, so, so if we want the good to stick to the ribs, we're going to have to find a way to let it drop down our esophagus all the way into our bellies mm-hmm. and start to nourish us and be, and uh, we need to break it down, metabolize it and um, allow it to become nutritious for us and fortify us and become a part of us inside. 
But if, if we're not able to let it all the way down inside, then yeah, it's going to feel like there's no more room for anything to come in. Mm. Yeah. So um, being deprived, we don't identify with, with goodness and abundance and, and all of that and being loved. Mm -hmm. And so instead we feel a sense of lack inside. Mm -hmm. So when something abundant starts coming at us, it doesn't resonate with what's inside the <laughs> yeah. lack feeling. So the two kind of rub up against each other and the energy has nowhere to go. And so it's like, it's about taking little baby bird bites at a time of the good, swallowing it, letting it go all the way down into your belly, letting that feel good in your belly. Maybe I'm good inside. Maybe there's some, some abundance here. Maybe I'm loved the antidote to deprived and just taking little bites at a time. It's like, you can't give a starving child a full meal. You got to take little bites at a time. And when you learn how to digest the good, instead of feeding on that bad feeling of lack and emptiness, which you've been doing your whole life, then the good starts to become the baseline and you find you're just swimming in it. The money is in you. It's all around you. There, there's nothing that's not the money metaphorically. Mm, yes. When you're oriented around the good, it's just everywhere. So it's not like you even need a finite amount in your house or in the bank. It's like, oh, I know if I need it, it'll be there. I am up. connected to this abundant goodness that is in me and all around me. There's nothing but goodness. There's mm. nothing but money. So, um, so it no longer becomes this grabby, how much will I have? And, you know, where will I put it? <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Wow. And I can, I can see how some of these um, coping styles kind of blend or overlap. You know, I can see how they, one works with the other, like even just in this conversation of the, the two that you just referenced, um, th there's probably... Yeah, there's, it's not like this one and then this one, they, they kind of blend. Well, in you, they blend. Yeah, I feel that. So they've married <laughs> together and, and yeah. all that like a super wound. But, but awesome. deprived, deprived and premature don't necessarily go together. Some people can have one and not the other. They're very different wounds. Deprived is a, an infant wound about um, not about feeling like the mother's back was turned literally or, or proverbially, like I'm a rejectable thing. I don't. I get literal calories, but I don't get the, um, mm. the deep care and love and adoration that I needed to, to feel filled up by my own goodness. Um, so anyway, it's, they're totally different wounds. One is a relationship with the bad breast. The deprived is a relationship with, um, I always get what I don't want, mm. or I can never get what I want. And then the premature is actually a relationship with the good breast of, gee, I really want the good stuff, but I don't think I'm allowed to have it. Interesting. So they're, they're, they're both feeding injuries. They're the only two feeding injuries of all 12, but they're very different from one another. They form at different mm -hmm. ages and they have very different ways that they manifest in you. They've married together a little bit mm -hmm. and um, you know, any different combination of styles can marry together and create an extra fun tangle to pull apart. <laughs> Yay. I love this more stuff to look at. Truly. It's the greatest gift that we have, right. Is this when we have these, awarenesses because it just gives us more to explore about who we are and our mm -hmm. ways of being in the world and I feel like we could talk for hours and clearly um you have an incredible gift of being able to shed light on things that maybe feel um how can I put this like hard to understand mm -hmm. conceptualize right so for those that are wanting to get the book or they want the resource or just more of you um, mm -hmm. in their life, what's the best way for them to do that? 
So the book won't be out till probably late next year. So hang tight, <laughs> but the coping styles pocket guide, like I was saying, you can download it off my website, which is drsamrader.com. And then follow me on Instagram, Dr. Sam Rader. I'm having a lot of fun on there. I love Instagram. Isn't it so fun? I really do love it. I have moments, right? Like anything, but um, yeah, just my relationship with it is always evolving and shifting, but um, I'm coming into a space right now where I'm like seeking more intentional connection and it's showing up. It's been so much fun. It's funny. Instagram is just like anything else. It's all just part of the story we project on it and it it behaves exactly how we expect it will. Yes. It's very intuitive. (laughs) Okay. So um, last question. Yes. And you can go in any direction that you want. I always love to see what comes through. What are you celebrating right now? Oh, that's so nice. (sighs) I guess I'm celebrating this shift of feeling my worth in an undeniable way in my body and being on my own team and feeling like life just gets to be fun now. Now I get to create and explore And it's not about fixing myself or trying to convince anyone that I'm good. Like I'm good. I'm good. So now I get to play. I'm I'm really hoping for the last half of my life, because I think I'm probably about halfway through, it gets to just be sweet. I had had a real hard time the first 40 years, I'll tell you. Um, But I made it to the place that I had always hoped and, and like, like wished that, that, and suspected that it existed. And I did it. (laughs) I'm like, I'm here. Not that life isn't still complex, but man, it's so different when you're not in these wounds. Like it's so, so different. Yeah. It sounds like freedom. Yes. That's, that's the whole point. Yes. I'm free. I'm free. Like, I love that for you. That's amazing. Thank you so much for, I feel like this flew by. Like, I feel like we've been talking for 10 minutes. I we were certainly in, <laughs> we were in it. We were down the rabbit hole. Like, yes. I love it. So um, thank you so much, you guys. If you love this episode, which I know you're going to love it. I'm going to listen back to this time and time again, take notes. Please share it with someone. Tag me, tag Sam on Instagram. Let us know what your biggest takeaway was. Again, thank you so much for being here and sharing your light. It's an honor. Listen, and- thank you. And thank you for be, being willing to share so openly and vulnerably. It really allows me to like hold you and feel you. And it's, it's an, it's an honor. I'm Thank you. And until the next time, live your boldly courageous life. Bye guys. <laughs>